Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 140 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Even milder, hello. Ooh. You guys You've might even have... used that before yeah. as your competition point, yeah. Dylan. You're just, you got to realize that I'm not here to compete with you. I'm just here to record book-related fun. So you yield, sir, is what you're saying. <laughs> sir, do you yield? <laughs> Dylan found his killer move. <laughs> you guys might have noticed that my number went up to 140. Last week it was... I, 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 I actually did. didn't, I did didn't not know. notice that at all. <laughs> Last week it was 133. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey, I think, is the only listener who would notice. <laughs> That's um, true. Seven more, eh? Well, they're the strand ones I got. Okay. But guys, they oh, haven't okay. they haven't come in the mail yet. They haven't even been shipped yet. So I feel like it's just delayed shame. I mean, it doesn't count yet. You it, know, I they could be lost true. forever. They could uh, dematerialize on the way here. You're right. It happens all the time. <gasps> Can't tell you how many things I've ordered that just dematerialize. Dematerialize <laughs> yep. shame. They even have an option for that in the shipping. <laughs> they have an option for that in the shipping. <laughs> yeah, it's cheap if you if it's like a fifty percent chance that it dematerializes. <laughs> Actually, speaking of that, on the online, I've been tracking the order obsessively, as you do. Does mm-hmm. anybody else like check their order every day to see if it's shipped out? Nope, just me. <laughs> anyway, there were 18 items, mm-hmm. um, but now there's only 12. So where did those other six books go? Those dematerialized. Dematerialized. His dematerialized. Oh, no. <sighs> His dark dematerialization. That's Yeah, that was better. Well, speaking of, speaking of bookstores and purchasing things, PSA, everyone... The world is running out of jigsaw puzzles. So if you need to buy any for Christmas gifts, better get on it now. Because I went to buy some for myself for Christmas, and a lot of them are already sold out. Hold on. The world is running out as in, is like COVID somehow in, yes. impacting the production of, is, because, it, is it a really breathing heavy process because, to well, produce a puzzle? Uh, demand is really high because everyone's stuck at home and has discovered the amazingness of puzzles, but mm-hmm. supply is very low because they're mostly made in China. And if you want to make your own and you want to do it well, I mean, you have to spend a lot of money on a die cut machine. It's not something you can just do willy nilly. Is that yeah. why there's a die cut machine in our kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> Dylan and my um, fifth year anniversary is coming up, and traditionally you get a gift of made of wood, and I've essentially oh. picked out a wooden puzzle for him to buy me. I hope he buys it for me. I already told you, but I'm editing the podcast. That's, <laughs> that's, that's your gift. anniversary gift. <laughs> Rude. Another announcement. The day that this episode goes out, Wednesday, November 18th, the National Book Awards are being hosted by Jason Reynolds of the ghost fame <gasps> that we read last week of the ghost fame. of the ghost fame and everybody can watch them they're online this year so just so you guys know if you're interested you can google watch national book awards maybe it's just me again you'll be put on a very special nerdy <laughs> list <laughs> um, i have actually watched them before really i was gonna um, say they were hosted by someone who was not quite as fancy as jason reynolds and i just entertained a fantasy the entire time that he was going to call the presenters dorks after they left the stage <laughs> because i thought that would be very funny but he never did or like they would walk off the stage and say nice speech four eyes but he never did <laughs> I'm, I know it doesn't look like this, but I'm imagining something like the NFL draft, like, and the book award, and they'd like put on a hat that says, like, National Book Award winner. They hold up a jersey. Could be, could be. Last year, Trust Exercise won, so we read that. There we go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there you go, Pejos. There you go, Pejos. We've done what we can do. We are cutting edge. <laughs> so Dylan and I have been reading books to our baby Maggie, and 
recently we read Fox and Socks by Dr. Seuss. I don't know the last time that you've read it, but that's a hard book to read. And Toby says that he's going to have no problem reading it. So we marked a page for him to read. Yeah. So this is, I've never looked at this page before. It's going to be a a fresh, fresh read. All right. There's a a term for that. What is, what am I thinking? Cold Cold reading. Cold read. It's going to be a warm read. Ice cold reading. Try to say this, Mr. Knox, please. Oh, man. You have to go faster. (laughs) (laughs) Through the three cheese trees, three free fleas flew. While these fleas flew, freezy breeze blew. Freezy breeze made these three trees, freeze, freezy trees made these three cheese. No. (laughs) Wow. I I was like one of those mine carts that's like (laughs) teetering on on the rails. I thought I had it. Freezy trees made these trees as cheese freeze. That's what made these three freeze. Dang it. <laughs> That's what made these three free fleas sneeze. <laughs> I feel ashamed. Box of socks is hard, y'all. <laughs> See, people think they can take it on, but it's not that simple. All right, well, now that that intro's done. Come check on, that's, it. Yeah, come on, check it. <laughs> check it. <laughs> uh, Toby read a book this week. Toby got a book chosen at random from his shelf. Toby, what book did you read? I read The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. New York, Ooh. San Francisco, Boston, Paris. Wow. I wish Hop it- aboard the City Express where we name cities, but we don't move. All right. Uh, so because Bailey threw out so much shade in our last episode about these not being log lines, this is an actual log line. Ooh. Not a synopsis. It is a one line. Awesome. In N.K. Jemison's The City We Became, five human avatars, each one representing a separate borough of New York City, must band together to protect their home from an extra-dimensional threat. Very good. Thank you. Golf claps, golf claps. Um, So, yeah, if you don't know who N.K. Jemison is, she's a big deal in the world of fantasy these days. She is kind of ascendant. She just won the MacArthur Genius Grant. That's why they call her Not Kidding Jemison. (laughs) It's true. She's very serious. Now, I'm going to kind of do a roundabout thing, but I've seen Neil Gaiman blurb this book a lot. Like, everywhere you see it advertised, it's like, Neil Gaiman says, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes a lot of sense. I feel like that's a lot of his personality, is saying he likes (laughs) things on Twitter and people being like, oh, it's good. That's true. But this one in particular is a, I can see why they do it. Because uh, in 2008, Neil Gaiman wrote a book that was very famous, very successful, called Neverwhere. Yes, I've read that. Okay, I'm so glad. Um, so Neverwhere, if you haven't read it, uh, there's an unassuming dude named Richard. He trips over this girl named Dor in the street. She's laying in the street. She needs his help. And he gets sucked into this world, this kind of underworld called London Below, which is this magical place. And all the tube stops have, like, lands associated with them. Bailey, yes? Yes, She's nodding. accurate, yes. And the whole idea is like this fantasy representation of how a city can have its own personality and it's and almost its own type of living entity when enough people and enough culture accu- accumulates there. So N.K. Jemison, I would say it's not a ripoff, but it's a pretty direct A to B in in this story. Uh-oh. In hers, it's more about the moment when a city becomes a living thing. So the concept behind this is that once a city accumulates enough people, enough culture, it kind of is birthed into a thing, a living thing. And that living thing has an, its own avatar, its own representatives. And that's what's happened, what happens in the book. It starts out and New York becomes a thing. <laughs> and basically at this moment when New York is becoming a, a a magical person is very vulnerable to attack. And so this evil presence comes out of another dimension to attack it. Jersey. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's got to be Jersey. Um, so that's the kind of premise. And I do like the premise. Um, I think it's really cool. I'm suspicious with how you said that, that you uh, <laughs> yeah. didn't like the book, but we will see. Yeah. Well, so Neverwhere, I kind of tepidly enjoyed back in the day. Um, it, but even though it came out in 2008, I think now it's a, it would feel a little dated to read, especially mm-hmm. since the main character is such a boring non-helpful white guy i was gonna say it's very white dude yes yeah so that is a big improvement and one of my l's for this book is that the cast is far more diverse far more modern um and far more interesting because of that new york becomes um a kind of entity and it has human representatives that are kind of drafted to represent it one for each borough of new york um and they are all diverse and interesting people i bet the brooklyn one is the coolest one because that's the borough i live in hey i'm staten island well, see. Go away. <laughs> you know what? That exchange is more correct than you know. <laughs> so while Neverwhere is more concerned with London below as a place that reflects the aspects of real life London, the city we became is more trying to embody each borough in one person, which I think is a pretty tall order considering though each borough has its own personality, it seems like it's hard to kind of distill it into one person. Like if you did, it would seem kind of superficial or stereotypical, probably. I'll just say first, I don't have a lot of experience with New York, so I found a lot of it kind of missed me. Okay. Um, Manhattan is the one that I thought was one of the most interesting. He kind of arrives, he's like an outsider. It's his first day in New York, and he becomes Manhattan. Mm. Um, And he is kind of brutal and vicious. He has this like dark side to his personality, And she kind of like draws the parallels between like the money movers in Manhattan and the kind of cold and bloodless side of this guy's personality mixed with um, his desire to help people. So that's. Okay. There you go. That's an example. I mean. And he's sorry. I'll also say he's also described as incredibly charming Mm -hmm. and kind of a deal maker, which is, uh, I think, a reference to how the Native Americans were cheated out of the island of Manhattan. And she kind of references that a lot. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I understand exactly what you're saying, because Manhattan has so many different sections to it. And like, Mm -hmm. it feels like you're describing like Wall Street versus all of Manhattan. Well, and and he's also described as kind of like the most racially ambiguous person ever. Like he could be anything but white, basically. Everyone who meets him who's not white is like, oh, you're my race. And he's like, no, not really. Uh, Moving into my orcs real quick. um, I would I want to say I'm fairly certain that. I politically align with N.K. Jemisin 100% if we were to talk. But this book feels like all the people, all these boroughs, get along 100%. They're all on the same wavelength, except for Staten Island. <laughs> so hey, St- I'm Staten Island! <laughs> exactly. Staten Island is kind of... <laughs> a large part of the conflict of this book comes from the fact that Staten Island doesn't want to play nice with everybody. They're kind of racist, and they're kind of off there. And that works, but it is still kind of a soft conflict, and it is resolved a little too easily. Whereas I imagine if you had any number of people representing any American city, I feel like half would hate the other half. And that sounds like a more interesting book to me mm-hmm. than this, where they kind of get along pretty immediately. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, a letdown for me. And then the biggest letdown for me is N.K. Jemison reminded me a lot of Neil Gaiman in this book, in that the magic system is just kind of like... You feel with your feelings and you figure it out. Mm. You know, like you, they're put in these crazy, insane situations. There's like extra dimensional tentacles coming out of the wall. And they're like, I know what I must do in every scene. Every single scene is like that. And for me, it sucks the stakes out of everything because I never once 
and like, okay, I understand how dangerous this thing is and what their abilities are here. So that's scary. I don't think they can do it. It's always like, yeah, they're going to get threatened by something and it's going to look bad and they're going to intuit something. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's that's more of a, I know a lot of people don't have a problem with that at all. So maybe you would like this book better than me. But Dylan, I was just, I was thinking about you when I was reading this book and I was like, my tolerance for fantasy nonsense is much higher than Dylan's. I can't imagine how much you would hate this book. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's my overall review. Um, is interesting concept, but executed in a way that I really didn't love and didn't engage with. I also, for the... Uh, I listened to the Audible, and I thought it was overperformed. The voice actor was really going for it. And they did this thing where they put a bunch of extra sound effects and music in it, which okay. I really didn't care for either. It felt more like a radio play but it read like a book. I don't know. I didn't didn't love the, the audiobook. Um, so yeah, I'm coming away from this one. Pretty lukewarm. I didn't hate it, but... How yeah. many stars? I'm going to give it three stars. Okay. Yeah. That's I'm better sure. than I thought you were going to say. The concept is cool, and, and there are cool parts to it, but yeah. But I also, I think I gave three or two stars to the fifth season, which is her other really big one. So this was kind of my second chance Frank K. Jemison, and I just think she's just not for me. But I will say these are very subjective criticisms that I have. I think that certain people could definitely rate this five stars, and I would respect their rating. Yeah, a lot of people have really liked this mm-hmm. this year. But from what you're describing, I don't know if it's up my alley either. But but like, who, what was your favorite borough, and why was it Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I bet Brooklyn was hip. Yeah, they're all kind of hip. Aww. Everybody's hip except for Staten Island. Sorry, I'm late. I had to get the ferry. I'm Staten Island. Go away. (laughs) Uh, Andrew, do you have any facts? I do. I do. You have all guessed at N.K. Jemison's initials. They stand for Nora Keita, K-E-I-T-A, Jemison. And she was born on September 19th, 1972. Jemison was born in Iowa City, Iowa, and grew up in both New York City and Mobile, Alabama. She also spent some time in Massachusetts. Uh, She ended up attending Tulane University in beautiful New Orleans um, and received a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology. She went on to study counseling and earn her Master's of Education at the University of Maryland College Park. She talks a lot about, in different interviews I've read of hers, um, always feeling that she wanted to be a writer, but never feeling encouraged or like there was space for her. It's funny, we've talked a lot about Octavia Butler on this show, and she brings up Octavia Butler. She's like, the fact that I could point to just one person who looked like me, who had success, and that was actually sort of discouraging to her, in a way, because she's a black woman who wants to write science fiction, and she can think of like one example of a canonical figure in that way. Yeah. What's the quote? You can't be what you can't see. Yeah, exactly. Her direct quote about Octavia Butler, and this is from this and the following section is from an interview she did with The Guardian. She said she discovered Octavia Butler in the 80s, and that helped a great deal, but she was just one person. Jemison trained as a psychologist and worked in universities in a branch of counseling psychology specific to late adolescence. Uh, She carried on writing, but gave up any idea of publishing. She'd been to grad school. She had student loans. Then she hit 30 and had a mini midlife crisis. She had written a novel, an early take on what would actually become the 100,000 Kingdoms book, which was later published, and sent it out to publishers um, and took a bunch of different science fiction and fantasy writing workshops, but no one ever got picked up. She then, separately, coming out of this midlife crisis, wrote another novel called The Killing Moon, which got her an agent, and this is some info about it, again from the Guardian uh, interview. Set in a world based on ancient Egypt, it had an almost exclusively black cast and didn't find her publisher. This is Jemison speaking. It was the mid-2000s, and at that time, science fiction and fantasy publishers were not super into stories with black casts by black writers. They'd done some stories with 
of black cast by white writers, but they were not interested in those stories coming from people who were actually black. Rejection letters would say things like, we like this, but we're not sure how to market it. We like this, but we're not sure who its audience would be. The implication from publishers being that fantasy readers don't want to read about black people and black people don't want to read fantasy. So what do we do? So here's what Jemison did. She rewrote The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, making nearly the entire cast white and made all of them horrible people. This is Jemison <laughs> talking again. All of them were horrible people. They'd shank each other for like nothing. And I wrote this angry story about this lone brown girl getting into this place full of mean white people, she says. It went to auction when three different publishers were fighting over it. And then to quote Jemison again, and I'm like, this is what you want? I was pretty bitter. I'd taken such care in the killing mood to include sympathetic white people, but this wasn't what they wanted. So she gains a little bit of traction with that and she continues writing and publishing. What's important to know is she didn't actually leave her job as like an adolescent counselor. Um, I believe she was based in Brooklyn at this point until like four books in because she just couldn't make enough money off of it. So she continued publishing work um, in 2010, 100,000 Kingdoms came out, uh, which was the first in a trilogy uh, called the Inheritance Trilogy, followed by the Broken Kingdoms and the Kingdom of the Gods. And then she had a duology, which was the Killing Moon, which we talked about, and then the Shadowed Sun, both of which came out in 2000. 12. Um, and then came the Broken Earth series, which really vaulted her into more popularity. And she won, for each of the three books in this trilogy, she won the Hugo Award for Best Novels. It made her the first novel list ever to have won it three years in a row for three consecutive uh, novels in a trilogy. Cool. This ties into a major upheaval that was going on in the um, in the science fiction community at the time where these really trolly, awful, right-wing, gross men were like voting as a block to prevent the science fiction community from becoming more and more diverse. And I have a quote about that, which really makes me like N.K. Jemisin. So I'm hoping that I get a chance to read her work later and really love it just to stick it to Toby. <laughs> <laughs> I like her. I like everything I know, she I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. This is talking about winning another one of her uh, Hugo Awards. That was 2016. After a number of years in which a group of writers, mostly male, white, and overwhelmingly right-wing, attempted to thwart the increasing diversity of the Hugos by block voting for their approved titles. Jemison's triple whammy felt like a turning of the tide. As she put it in her blistering winner's speech, this is the year in which I get to smile at all of those naysayers, every single mediocre, insecure wannabe who fixes their mouth to suggest that I do not belong on this stage, that people like me cannot possibly have earned such an honor, and when they win, it's meritocracy, but when we win, it's identity politics, I get to smile at those people and lift a massive shining rocket shaped finger in their direction um yeah i uh which rules i know know a little bit about this controversy it's really foul it's basically there's a bunch of conservative guys who wrote like very old school science fiction like white male protagonists organized around like technology and weapons and you know fighting on different planets and they felt that uh, new science fiction was concerned with different genders and different races and well and they were getting they thought they were getting voted for just because they were representing diversity so they threw a fit and tried to get their own stuff promoted as andrew just described Woof. but it's yeah it's a real cringe but yeah they yeah it was a whole thing and and they succeeded i think for a year or two but then they got beaten back down yeah like they got beaten quote. back down to the tune of uh three years in a row for nk jemison so yeah. way to go she lives and works in brooklyn new york and she's the first cousin once removed to stand up comic and television host w kamau bell oh. <laughs> bailey and i felt exactly the same about that <laughs> ah, there's a bunch of other i would recommend reading interviews with her because there's a lot of cool facts that we just don't have time to get into well great facts andrew good um, facts andrew yeah they were okay jemison Dylan's on fire. (sighs) Oh, boy. Uh, Dylan's having a lot of fun. All right. And The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, three stars. Now, check it. 
Check a top. Check it. I had a book to well, read. Well, check the water. Make sure it's it's starting to boil. Check the <gasps> oven. Make sure you've preheated it. <gasps> check off your grocery list for all the delicious things you're going to cook. That's right. I read a book about cooking. <laughs> a book about checkbooks. <laughs> I read Julie and Julia by Julie Powell, made famous uh, a few years ago by the Nora Ephron film starring Meryl Streep as Julia Child. Perhaps you remember. Hello. We. Oui. <laughs> Bon appétit. <laughs> so I I wrote a haiku logline. It's not my best work. Let's be real. You love a haiku logline. Yeah, you though. love it. It's it's my thing. Stuck in a bad job, Julie Powell finds herself in a year of child. Here's the thing. It's not the best. <laughs> in a year of child. I was trying there to say. There are so many children running around. <laughs> what about food? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, nothing, there's no mention of food. Well, but I wanted it to be Julia Child, but Julia has three syllables. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for those of you who haven't heard of the book or the movie, um, it's. Where, a, where have you been? Where have you been? Julie Powell. It, this is her memoir. She is. Well, when she wrote this in 2004, around then, um, she was living in Queens. She worked as a dead-end government job where she had to field calls from people with suggestions for the 9-11 memorial, which Oof. seems like a very depressing job. Yowza. And in order to distract herself from that, she came up with the idea for a project, which was to cook her way through Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking, Volume 1, Cookbook. Um, and there were 524 recipes that she plan to do in one year 365 days and she oh, would wow. write a blog about it and were I, some of them like drinks some of them were like frostings okay yeah frosting uh, is a drink a lot of mayonnaise if you heat it up enough frosting is a drink <laughs> it'd be funny at the end she has like 15 left to go and she has to make like frosting turkey meat <laughs> sorbet <laughs> there's well near the end she makes eight tarts on one day she's like mm. gotta get through mm. um andrew we spoke over you did you have something i said anything's a drink if you blend it <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad we got that <laughs> Yeah, glad we got a clean take of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and as she describes in the memoir, her blog, her real life blog, which you can find online, and it's kind of a trip because it looks like, you know, one of those old school, like, live journal type blogs. Uh-huh. It's like, very old. It got really popular, and that's what got her the book deal. And so then the book becomes kind of meta, where she's like, and now I'm going to write a book about this. Hmm. That's a, I didn't know there was that aspect. Yeah. With that said, um, one thing to note, if you've seen the movie and are thinking about reading the book, which is why I got the book, the movie very much is like a dual story between Julia Child's biography, like Learning to Cook, um, and her relationship with her husband, Paul, which is very sweet, intercut with Julie Powell in the present day. This book is 98% present day Julie Powell. And mm. there's just small letters um, that Julia Child's husband writes. So it's like barely any Julia Child. So you should know that going in. Good to know. It's more like Julie, not Julie and Julia. Hey-o. Um, Hey-o. <laughs> um, also, I found it interesting that in the book, Julie Powell mentions both uh, Meryl Streep and Stanley Tucci, and they ended up being in the movie. Whoa. Whoa. The devil wears shortbread. Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> no, they're, they're both in that too, aren't they? Exactly. That's hey, what I was going You could for. have said the devil wears pasta. 
Uh, well, you know what, Dylan? It's, it's, a, it's just basically a tradition now that I do the first take and then you get to think a second and do a better one. So That was pretty good, Dolly. Loved it. Um, okay, so my um, elves. It's it's pitched a sort of a Bridget Jones style writing and it kind of is. It's pretty funny. It's a pretty fast read. It is more crass and like blue humor, I think, than, than Bridget Jones. Hmm. Um, but it's a really quick read and... If, if you like the voice, you'll like the book and you'll get through it really quick. I would never have expected you to say that this was a crass book. Really? I would, yeah. Looking at the marketing and like everything, I would expect it to be like squeaky clean. No. That's actually one of the critiques people had with her blog was that she used the F word too often. That's, see, that makes me more want to read it more. Well, there you go. Well, so I'll read you um, like a little bit of it so you can get a sense of, of the writing. Well, we're still a family-friendly <laughs> podcast, though. <laughs> this is not crass. Dear Mother Effers, today I made eight tarts. <laughs> Okay, this is That's how you start a blog, right? What if the what if the review is just one long beep because we can't <laughs> put any of this in? Um so she's talking about how she's an actress or she aspired to be one. <clears throat> well, actually, I guess I can't say that since I've never had a real acting job. And to tell the truth, it's time I faced facts here. I never even really tried. But if I'm not a New York actress, what am I? I'm a person who takes a subway from the outer boroughs to a lower Manhattan office every morning, who spends her days answering phones and doing copying, who is too disconsolate when she gets back to her apartment at night to do anything but sit on the couch and stare vacantly at reality TV shows until she falls asleep. Oh, God, it really was true, wasn't it? I really was a secretary. Hmm. So Sounds grim. You get a sense of the writing. It's very, um, because it's based on a blog, it feels very, what would the word be? Like confessional. Confessional, yes. So I liked that. That was an elf. She also, because of the confessional style and because of like certain circumstances with my life, there's a lot going on in my life that she's also going through. This is very specific. But for example, her goal to go through 365 days of 524 recipes reminds me of a certain someone's goal to read 125 books on her shelf and make a podcast about it. I feel like podcast or the modern day blog yeah but it's not like she's buying cookbooks on top of that every week <laughs> you guys are rude these are the 800 recipes on my shelf <laughs> <laughs> so uh so I, I identified with that she also is going through the same fertility issue i was going through polycystic ovarian syndrome so she talks a lot about that she's feeling a lot of pressure about having to have a kid and instead of concentrating on that she decides to make a lot of aspects and creme anglaise and also it talks a lot this is another elf about what it's like to be in a long-term relationship julie and her husband eric had been together since high school and so you know their relationship is very close to the extent where they have like a lot of inside jokes and and they're comfortable enough around each other that he can help her kill lobsters and she can scream out running out of the room and that kind of thing dylan can kill a lobster so good i can well you got scared that one time (laughs) well they're very twitchy (laughs) (laughs) we can all agree lobsters are evil we don't need to talk about them more they're They're not a part of the world we need to deal with that's true i agree lobsters are gross they're immortal sea bugs (laughs) and they're delicious so those are the elves the orc um the orcs come out of the fact i think that it was made from a blog it doesn't really follow a traditional story structure. There isn't really something that she learns in the end besides cooking. <laughs> it feels the very orcs like orcs come out of the blog. <laughs> this is what this is what I do. Uh, it feels like, and today I made this, and today I made this. You know, very episodic, I guess. But I want. It looks long for that to be the case. It I'm is. looking at it on the table right now, and I'm like, woof, that's a lot. It's 300 pages. And also, for a book about cooking, she talks not that much about, well, she talks a little bit about cooking, 
But she doesn't really talk at all about the taste of the food. It's just about the process of like making the food. Hmm. And or she'll be like, I made a boeuf bourguignon, which is a beef stew. And I'm like, okay, but what did it taste like? (laughs) (laughs) Tastes like a boeuf bourguignon, dog. (laughs) And, you know, some of the stuff she makes is pretty gross. That's one thing I remembered from the movie, which is told well in the book. There's a whole chapter on aspics, which is jelly made out of hoofs. Ooh. You know, like in this isn't all jelly made out of hoof in a way, though. Yes, but in this case, it's like it's like a savory the... jelly. Okay. Mm. Um, I don't know <laughs> that I could eat a lot of the things that she eats, although the desserts sound delicious. In general, I think that there could have been more talk about food, mm. which is kind of strange. And I think that there could have been a lot more Julia Child, um, considering I think she's a lot more interesting than Julie Powell. Mm. Also, Julie Powell is kind of a jerk to her husband. Sometimes Mm. she doesn't really appreciate him, and he's doing his best when she's, like, yelling and screaming from the kitchen every night. And I've never been somebody to yell at my husband over something going on in my own life and taking (laughs) it out on him. I would never do that. So, Dylan, is that Morse code you're blinking to me right now? (laughs) So, um, So those are my elves and orcs. I think... You know, this is a fine book. Like, if you were staying in a bed and breakfast and it was on the shelf and you had nothing to read, sure, pick it up. But I think the movie's better, and I think the movie is, like, average. Oof. So. Wow. How many stars, Wow, that was a delightful burn. (laughs) Uh, I know know what the pull quote for this this one's going to (laughs) be. It was well singed. So I, I gave it three stars as well. Wow. Oh, really? I thought that was leading up to a... I know. I, I don't think I'll keep it on my shelf. I'll give it away, maybe put it in a bed and breakfast somewhere. Three stars. Nice. Oh. Um, Andrew, I'm dying to know what facts you have. Well, I mean, I have some. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's tough because so much of this book is wrapped up in who Julie Powell is. I'm sure, like, if you read yeah. the book, you'd get a more in-depth look of who she is than I can find in, like, the interviews in Wikipedia and whatnot. Um, if you're really interested in Julie Powell, I think the book is probably better than the summary I'm about to give you, but I'm going to try my darndest. So, Julie Powell was born Julia Ann Foster, now known oh. as Julia Powell, born on April 20th, 1973 in Austin, Texas. She went on to attend Amherst College in Massachusetts, where she had a double major in theater and creative writing. She, as Bailey mentioned, married her husband, Eric Powell. So as Bailey mentioned, this book came out of a blog that she wrote, um, which was originally titled Julie and Julia, 365 Days, 524 Recipes, One Tiny Apartment Kitchen. The paperback edition of the book was later renamed Julie and Julia, My Year of Cooking Dangerously. The blog, as Bailey mentioned, gained a large following quickly, especially in sort of early blogosphere. Um, She signed a book with Little Brown and Company and published this book coming Remember out of people that people would constantly say the word blogosphere <laughs> yeah it felt weird in my mouth i'm gonna be honest with you <laughs> i know what y'all are wondering when she was doing this was about when julia child was still alive but almost dead i bet you're wondering what julia child thought of the project oh i know Oh, I don't. Child was reported to have been unimpressed with Powell's blog. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it. This is a quote from, well, so here's the thing. This is a quote. I'm going to give you two quotes. The quote from Child's editor, who sort of says what Julia Child, she thinks Julia Child thinks. And then I'll give you Julie Powell's reaction to that um, from a separate interview. So this is the quote from Judith Jones, who's uh, Julia Child's editor. Flinging around four-letter words when cooking isn't attractive to me or Julia. She didn't want to endorse it. What came through on the blog was somebody who was doing it almost for the sake of a stunt. She would never really describe the end results, how delicious it was, and what she learned. Julia didn't like what she called 
the flimsies. She didn't suffer fools, if you know what I mean. That's so weird. That was my exact critique, is that she doesn't learn anything and she didn't describe what it tasted like. And then Bailey she said, just three stars. <laughs> Bailey just spread her arms like she just won the World Wrestling Championship. <laughs> and this is a quote from cinemablend.com um, with Julie Powell and her reaction to this. The question actually is, did you ever get in touch with Julia Child to find out why she didn't like your blog? And Powell says, after the project was over, I wrote this letter, this extraordinarily grateful letter, because shortly after the project was over, my life was already changing. I got a very formal, cordial letter back from her. This is the only contact I ever had with her. I don't think she said anything really awful. She said, I know about the blog. I'm not terribly interested in finding out more. And people have posited all sorts of reasons as to why that reaction was. She was, after all, 90 years old and was frail and not what she had been in terms of energy or maybe investment in the world. I've had a lot of people who have known her who are passionate about the subject tell me, she would have loved you. I promise she would have loved you. They're more upset about it than I am. Mm, that feels mm. like she's justifying a lot. I mean, is it really anything like, you know, Julie swore a lot and Julia didn't like it, which is understandable. She's an older woman from a different generation. Nothing wrong with either of, either of those opinions. Mm. She also, a lot of people don't really like Julie Powell. She can be described as <laughs> this unlikable. This is turning into a very dunk on Julie Powell. Well, <laughs> I don't know if Andrew has any facts on her next book. I do, and I was holding it till after we got through this first okay, book. Okay, so I'll let you transition, Andrew. Maybe that will explain. I like how I'm the total rube at this table. Everyone else seems to know the, the, the <laughs> Well, dish. to be fair, I only know this because I had to research for the podcast. So you say. Um, so you say. I know you cook things. <laughs> To give you another quote from that interview on Cinema Blend, where Julie Powell talks a little bit about the process of the book, the question is, aside from the book deal, what was the biggest thing you got out of the project in the end? Powell says, I think the reason I came to mastering the art to begin with is that there's something in that book besides the recipes and the authentic cooking course that you go through. There's a sense of confidence and bravery in the book, and I was just inspired by it. At the end of the project, I had managed to do something so much bigger than I thought I was capable of. Not just the recipes, I had turned into a writer, I had a tone. I think really what Julie a child does is not just about teaching us to cook. It's about teaching us to be brave, to jump into things. Julia Child is a feminist icon as much as a culinary one. She's inspired so many thousands of women to be more than they thought they could be. I agree with that. She sounds pretty great to be. I hope there's not any kind of shocking information that I'm going to learn. <laughs> well, Okay, so she's written another book. She's written one other book that's come out. It's called Cleaving, colon, A Story of Marriage, Meat, and Obsession. Um, Is this how she broke up with her husband? So, so sort of. I mean, uh, here's the deal. She details in sort of like a similar culinary experience way. Uh, her experience is learning how to become a butcher at Fleischer's Butcher Shop in Kingston, New York. But juxtaposes that with the effects of affairs by both her and her husband on their marriage. Oh, wow. The work was sort of widely panned. Like NPR wrote this very cruel review of it. Um, wow. There was a lot of sort of, you know, just instantaneous negative reaction to it because of what that subject matter is. It seems like Bailey has actually maybe immersed herself a little bit more in the criticism than I have. There's a lot of fiery Goodreads reviews. It's very <laughs> one star heavy um, and just says like she spends very little time like talking about butchering around the world and what most of the time like obsessing over this guy who dumps her and treating her husband really poorly and kind of forcing him into an affair because she had an affair and it's just like it just seems like people read the book and don't like her and I haven't read the book but it just doesn't seem like she comes off very well and the fact that she hasn't written anything since is, I don't know huh 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to judge. I haven't read either of the things. I I sort of held off from digging too deep into the second book because I didn't want to bring that into the facts about Julie and Julia. But yeah, it does seem like it very much cooled her star a bit. And yeah, that's pretty much the end of my facts. As uh, as Bailey said, um, she hasn't published anything since, though she still does interviews um, from time to time. And as uh, far as I can tell from scouring the internet, she and her husband, Eric, are still together. Interesting. She's still cashing that Nora Ephron check. <laughs> Sorry, this is mean. The book is fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's like a potato no... soup. It's like you could have something better, but it's fine. It'll do. Yeah. I like potato and leek soup, actually. There you go. No, no, no leeks. Just potato. <laughs> yeah, okay. So just potato. That'd be pretty rough. <laughs> All right. Uh... This is my salt and potato soup. Do you just put too much butter in the mashed potatoes? Yes. Ooh, there's a lot of butter in this book. Mmm. Mmm, butter. Uh... Speaking of butter, Andrew, do you have a game for us? Yes, I do have a game, and I'm excited about this one, guys. I don't know if you'll like it, but I had a lot of fun making it. So yeah. we'll see. All right, folks, welcome to Mastering the Art of French Cities. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> Andrew. Boom, Andrew. Boom, boom. Chef's kiss. So here's how this game is going to work. I have written what I think is a beautiful paragraph. Contained within it are the names of French cities. Okay. I'm going to read it out loud. And while I do that, I'm going to ask you guys to try to mark down for yourselves which ones you think the names of the French cities are. So you can play along at home, Pedros, and try to mark down all the uh, all the cities you hear. I will say some of them I use in a punny way that uh, requires me to either slightly mispronounce or slightly anglicize uh, the pronunciation of some of the French cities. Um, so be listening for words that could be uh, a French city if you put a little stank on it, a little French, French accent on it. There are more than you think in here. And the way the game will work is after the paragraph, I will have either Toby or Bailey up to you, uh, take off the headphones for a moment while the other one says how many they have and, and identifies them. And then have the other one come on and do the same. And that way we'll get a winner and it should be very dramatic. All right, are you guys ready for mastering the art of French cities? Ready. Ready. That was Julia Child. All right, here we are, mastering the art of French cities. I went to a Mets game the other day with my friend Kirk. I hadn't meant to go, but it was so nice out. I got to the stadium early. I always do if I can, because the food is my favorite part. At least you can be well fed even if you already know your team is going to lose. I started with a hot dog, but to make it fancy, I got a little Dijon. I can deal with a little bit of fancy, but some people take it too far and that angers me. Who would wants to sip a Bordeaux while your team can't even score any wrens? Who wants a Michelin star sandwich with filleted chicken breast and with cayenne pepper. I am having none of that. After my meal, I got to my seat where my friend was waiting for me. Tough game. The Washington Nationals was Strasbourg pitching. The grass was cut perfect and it was a great day for a game. But first batter up and the Mets go and give up a home run. Well, I'll be, I say, and lean to my friend. This game is already done, Kirk, or my name isn't Andrew Massey. And that's the paragraph. All right, which one of you would like to go first? Well, should we say our number? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, say our number. Say our, say our number. Our, okay, let me count. Say our that. number. Okay, I don't know if mine are all right, but I had 11. Okay, Bailey has 11. Toby, how many did you have? 16. Oh, Zootalor. Oh, Zootalor. Okay, so how do we do this? Uh, I'll, I'll leave. Okay. So, Bailey, you say you have 11, which is fewer than Toby has identified. Say the cities, please, Bailey. Okay, I just want to say for the Pedros that if I had heard the paragraph again, I probably could get more. Yeah, sure. Already already defending yourself. Continue. Okay, great. Um, the first one is Nice, aka Nice. Yes. Then can. Yes. Toulouse. Correct. Dijon. Correct. Bordeaux. Correct. Rennes. Correct. Yes. Michelin. That is incorrect. That is not a name. National. 
France, that one? Uh, as far as I know, that is not a city in France. Okay, I don't, I, those are guesses. What about Strasbourg? That is correct. Yes. Dunkirk? Correct. And Massé? That is correct. Okay, yes. so uh, Bailey has nine points, so let's bring Toby in and see if he can get above nine. Okay, we're going to go get him. I boned that. I feel like I could have gotten You missed more. a stretch of three in a row, which makes me mm. very sad because I was really proud of the wordplay. All right. Shall I just list them off? Yes, we're going to go through the list. Bailey has gone through hers. We have her score. We're going to hide that from you until after your round. Okay. I'm just going to say before you even started, I wrote down Nice because I knew you would say nice. So wow. I just called it. So I get that one. That's correct. Um, Mets. That is correct. And I can also tell you one that Bailey missed. How do you spell Mets? M-E-T-Z. I have it written M-E-T-Z on my wow. iPad. Wow, okay. Second guess is Kirk. That is incorrect. Okay. Third guess is Part. You already said Nice, though. That comes next, actually. Okay, yeah. Nice. Cool. And your next guess is what? Part. I may have That is not correct. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Toulouse. That is correct. Dijon. That is correct. Too far or something like that? I do not have one on my list that's too far. Oh, but I, okay. I wrote the I wrote the phrase too far, but no, that's not a city as far as yeah, I know. I, I skipped. I just, that was a random stat. There's <laughs> no penalty for guessing wrong. That's so true. Just, no, there's no penalty. Um, Bordeaux. Correct. Rings. Rings. Yes. Michelin. Incorrect. I also guessed that, Toby. Oh. Um, it says Cheyenne, but that's not right. What's, I think you meant Cayenne. Yes, I get it autocorrected to Cheyenne. Which yeah, is Cayenne. correct. Oh, I okay. almost wrote that down. I didn't like a fool. None. That is incorrect, but part of one, but I cannot give you a oh. point for that. Um, Strasbourg. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Uh, Batter. Incorrect. Dunkirk. Correct. And Massey. Massey. That is correct, Toby. So you have 10 points. Oh. Bailey, Bailey came away with nine points. So <laughs> yes! I'm very glad we did the check because uh, it ended up being much more of a squeaker than it, it seemed like it was going to be initially. So there were actually, however, and get ready, Pejos, there were 17 in there. Whoa. Whoa. So which ones did we miss? So the ones you missed, you got Mets, you got Nice, you got Khan, or one, some of you got Khan. I got Khan. Yeah, brag, brag away, loser. <laughs> <laughs> Toulouse, correct. You guys both got Dijon, but you didn't notice that in front of Dijon, I said Lille. I got a Lille oh. Dijon on it. Lille oh, is another no. city in France, so that's mm-hmm. one that was missing. None of you got this, and I don't blame you. Um, I said that angers me. If you pronounce that Angers, that is a city in France. No, boo. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> is it possible for Andrew to lose this game? <laughs> uh, it's possible for you to get docked points for assassinating me, Toby, and you're only up by a little bit. Bordeaux, you all, you all got. Uh, Ren, you missed that with the cayenne pepper, there was a chicken breast, and breast is a city in France. Um, this is the wordplay I was very proud of. Uh, Toby, you got non, but I said I'm having none of that because Avignon, um. A-V-I-G-N-O-N, is a city in France. That's uh, pretty great. Strasbourg was <laughs> pitching. That's correct. You guys all got Strasbourg. The grass was cut perfectly. There's a city in France spelled G-R-A-S-S-E. I almost wrote that down. What a fool. What a fool. Fool. A clown. This one I also do not blame you at all for not getting. Um, I said, well, I'll be. There's a city in France called A-L-B-I. I would assume pronounced something along the lines of I'll be. And you guys both got Dunkirk and Massey. Um, but I do not think it's pronounced Massey like my last name. So those were the 17 cities hidden within the lovely story about me going with Kirk to the Mets game. Even if you guys didn't have fun, I did. And that's what matters this time. Boom, ba doom boom, boom. I had fun because I won. I had a great time. Um, I think, Andrew, you mastered the art of the game. That was really good. That was very good. Yeah. All right. Well, now's the time on the podcast where Dylan picks our next book at random from our shelves. It is 
the, the choosing. Le choosing. Le choosing. Well, for Toby, you have number 38. Not me, Android, but I, Robot, by Isaac Asimov. Remember how you were talking about white dude sci-fi? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's Guess good. Guess what? You've I, got some white dude sci-fi. <laughs> that's like the good stuff. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited. I've um, only read a couple of the Foundation series by him, and I really, really like them. So I'm excited to jump into this foundational <laughs> cornerstone. You know, it is, though. It's a cornerstone of sci-fi. I'm very excited. Cool. I haven't read it. I, I find Asimov to be one of the few old white dudes who doesn't put his foot in it every other paragraph being like racist or sexist all the time he still does it sometimes but not as bad as the other guys excellent <laughs> it's not every other sentence but it's once a chapter it's fine <laughs> <laughs> and what about me and Billy you have number 69 nice <laughs> niece <laughs> niece Lakewood by Megan Giddings I'm excited for this this is one of the new ones I got for myself I think it's like a horror book Ooh. told like a, a, a woman needs to make money for her family. So signs up for these strange experiments. And that's all I know. But I mean, mm. sounds great. Sounds cool. Excited. Cool. Okay. So that means in two weeks, I will be reading Lakewood by Megan Giddings. And Andrew is reading... Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck by Eric Larson. And some people are excited about that on Goodreads. They've been liking that you're reading that, so it should be fun. You've been choosing book. Choosing book. Choosing book. Choosing Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List Podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go on to Apple Podcasts uh, and rate us five stars and leave a review. It makes us so happy. Uh, and it would be so surprising. It would make us all thunderstruck. <laughs> Also, if you enjoy what you heard today and you want to help us out a little bit, please recommend this podcast to a friend who you think might enjoy it. Uh, word of mouth is still our best way of getting thunderstruck and also heard by other <laughs> listeners. Okay. And we're, we're burning all our thunderstruck uses on the episode. We don't actually review thunderstruck. You guys know okay. that we're just going to go crazy with that. <laughs> Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jilly and Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.